I want to talk with you this morning on the topic, God knows you and loves you more than you can ever imagine. Uh, we live in a, in a world where the hostility and the animosity toward Christianity is growing ever greater. We see it all around us in our own country, uh, but sometimes we're like an ostrich with our head stuck in the, in the sand when we think about the topic of persecution. We think about it on a, on a small level, like being, being ignored by someone or being maybe verbally maligned by someone. And that, that certainly is persecution. I wouldn't want to minimize that at all. But there is serious persecution, biblical kind of persecution ha happening around our world. In 2021, 360 million Christians lived in places where they experienced high levels of persecution and discrimination, 360 million Christians. Every day in 2021, 19 Christians were detained without cause, arrested, imprisoned because they were Christians. That was the cause, not because they had broken any laws, and not because they had transgressed any legal statutes, but because they were Christians. Every day in 2021, 11 Christians were abducted. Think about that. Every single day of 2021, 11 Christians were abducted. Every day in 2021, 16 Christians were killed for their faith. So, 16 today, 16 on Monday, 16 on Tuesday, 16 on Wednesday, 16 on Thursday, 16 on Friday, 16 on Saturday, 16 on Sunday, 16 on Monday, 16 on Tuesday, on and on and on it goes. Every day, 16 Christians on average were killed for their faith in 2021. Two years ago, I had a, a student in a, in a summer class, and during one of the breaks we were talking, and, and I knew he came from a, from a country that uh, was controlled by Islamist uh, uh, military and Islamic military, and he described to me how his home church, after he had left and come to the States to study to become a pastor, was surrounded by an Islamic military group on Sunday morning services, they, they locked the doors shut, bolted the doors from the outside, set the church on fire. As people were putting their children out the windows to escape the flames, they were shooting the, shooting the children. We don't have that kind of persecution here in our country. We have persecution, but not that kind of persecution. But the passage that we just had read to us a moment ago talks to us about persecution, how to withstand persecution of all levels, from family rejection to the possibilities of being martyred for one's faith. I want you to notice with me in the first part of the first verse that Jeff read to us, a hostile setting. It says, under these circumstances, under what circumstances? Well, we've got to look back and see the concluding verses of last week's passage. What are the circumstances that Luke is describing for us? 
We'll look back in verses 53 and 54 of chapter 12. When Jesus left that place, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to interrogate him about many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say under these circumstances. So there's large crowds. We'll see that in just a a moment. There were large crowds in chapter 12. His ministry is flourishing. People are coming to him from virtually every place in the surrounding areas. He's healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching the good news of the gospel. And people are, people are spellbound by, by his sermons. They're relieved by the removal of their sickness. Jesus is doing all of these wonderful things, and yet the religious establishment hates him. They despise him. And they're, plotting, they're plotting against him. You can count on the fact whenever God does something good, Satan will bring in a counterattack. You see this in the book of Acts. In, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, 3,000 people are saved. In chapter 3, a persecution breaks out. Peter and John are arrested. Then Peter has, preaches and 2,000 more people are saved. Chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested again, beaten and threatened. Whenever God begins to move, Satan begins to bring about a a counterattack. We see this right here. But Jesus preaches so courageously. In the midst of this hostile setting, we see a serious warning. The warning is this, nothing done in secret is secret. They're plotting in secret how they might catch him in something that he says, how they might trap him in a misspoken word, They're plotting in secret how they can arrest him and maybe even eventually have him killed. And so he says, nothing done in secret is in secret. Look with me in the the latter part of verse 1. So many thousands of people had gathered together. So many thousands of people had gathered together. They were stepping on one another. He began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. So Jesus says, first of all, first of all what? First of all, beware. Whenever Jesus says beware, it perks my interest because it's a warning It's a warning about something that I'm probably liable to stumble into or to stumble over. So he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven is that ingredient that you add to dough that causes the dough to rise. Often in the Bible, not always, but most of the time in the Bible, leaven is a metaphor. It's an image for sin. Paul said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So, he, so he's saying hypocrisy is like gangrene. If left untreated and not dealt with, it will spread through a person's entire life. So he warns them, beware of the sin of hypocrisy. Now, we need to be very clear about what hypocrisy is and what hypocrisy is not. 
Now, we talked about Phariseeism last week, and I want to repeat just a little bit of what I said last week about Phariseeism. Now I want to apply it, though, to hypocrisy. None of us are perfect. We all have indwelling sin. And it's not uncommon for our, our <clears throat> indwelling sin to gain the upper hand in our life in particular circumstances and situations. Not a single one of us live a perfect life any single day. And so we battle indwelling sin. We seek to put indwelling sin to, to death. And that's not hypocrisy. That's Christianity. That's living out the Christian life. That's what it means to grow more and more into the image of Jesus, realizing that my indwelling sin wants to gain mastery over me, and I have to, I have to fight it. I have to do battle with it. And when I commit a sin, I confess it to God, and then I should confess it to the person that I've sinned against if I've sinned against that person. The strange thing is hypo hypocrisy doesn't mind confessing things to God. They, Hypocrisy just doesn't like to confess things to those they've sinned against. It's all right to say, Father, forgive me. I shouldn't have said this to my wife. I shouldn't have said it what I said and in the way that I said it. It's easy for me to confess it to God and to genuinely mean it. It's another thing to look Jalen in the eyes and say, Sweetheart, I shouldn't have said that. I'm, so I'm sorry. I'm genuinely sorry. Please forgive me. Oh, by the way, when was the last time you confessed a sin to someone? That is, unless you live a monastic life, that is, a life completely isolated from everybody, I think you're like, more like me than you might think. And that is, you sin. And very few sins that we commit are not sins completely devoid of being carried out toward another person. That means we not only confess our sin to God, but we confess our sin to those whom we've sinned against. Teenager, when was the last time you said to God, I, I, disobeyed, I disobeyed my dad and mom please forgive me, and then go to your dad and mom's and look at them in the eyes and say, I've sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? Now, the only way they will learn that is if they hear their parents say that to them. If they don't hear their parents say it to them, then they're not going to learn that they need to say it to their parents. Because I can tell you, you can't raise children and not sin against them. Because we have indwelling sin, but that's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a refusal to acknowledge and to recognize my indwelling sin, not ask God to forgive me, and then ask those whom I've sinned against to forgive me. Unless you're an only child, you sin against your siblings. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you've done. I can just guarantee that you've done it because I had a sibling, and I know how brothers and sisters sometimes treat one another. See, hypocrisy doesn't mind so much confessing sin to God, but God wants us to confess that sin to those whom we've sinned against. That's how you attack hypocrisy, that your private life and your public life are becoming ever more closely aligned. 
For example, hypocrisy is speaking to your wife in private in a way that you wouldn't speak to her in public because if you don't speak to her that way in public, you've got enough wherewithal not to speak to her that way in private. You know that if you spoke to her that way in public, somebody would call you out. They would take you aside, a, a, another brother in Christ. That is, you're out of line. You should not speak to your wife that way. Now, does that mean that we don't speak to our wives improperly sometimes? We most certainly do because we've got indwelling sin, and so do they. But it means we look them in the eyes and we say, I, I've asked God to forgive me. Sweetheart, would you please forgive me? I shouldn't have said what I've said in the way that I said it. It's on me. It's on me. And so the only way to shrink the gap between who we are in public and who we are in private is to make sure that what we do in private is, is becoming more and more who we are in public. And so we need to understand that if you wouldn't let your 8, 10, 12-year-old daughter look at the website you're looking at, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with a private viewing on a website you wouldn't let your daughter sit on your, sit on your knee and, and watch with you. There's something wrong with that. Our problem isn't so much that way, I don't think, as it is the earlier way, and that is to recognize I need to confess my sin to God. I need to confess my sin to those whom I've sinned, I've sinned against. If we would not become hypocritical in our religion, we must, we must develop a deep passion for God, a sincere love for people, and be intricately involved in the local church. I've thought about that quite a bit this week. So let me read it again since I wrote it down. If we would not become hypocritical in our religion, we must develop a deep, passionate love for God, a sincere love for people, and be intricately involved in a local church. Why? Because that's the people that hold us accountable. In the discipleship group I'm in on Wednesday night, sometimes we, we have one of us, all of us at different times will share a sin that we're struggling with. And when, we, when we're having our prayer time, we'll, we'll share it. We'll just lay it out there. This is something I'm struggling with. This is, a, this is an issue I'm, I'm battling. And then everybody now knows, everybody can pray and everybody can occasionally ask, hey, brother, how's, how's, this, going? how's this going for you? And that's a good thing. It's not a good thing to keep people at arm's distance. It's a good thing to be intricately involved in our battle against hypocritical living because we all struggle with it. We just most certainly do. Now, what Jesus focuses on in verses 4 through 7 is, to, is a warning about being afraid of people. In fact, he says, do not fear people, only fear God. Or another way to put this is, uh, don't be held captive to peer pressure. We've all got issues with peer pressure. All of us face peer pressure. We think about it primarily in our teenage years, but if you're sitting around uh, a lunch table with uh, unregenerate guys and there's inappropriate uh, discussions going on, there's a lot of pressure in a circumstance like that. 
And how, how much we fear people and how much we fear God, in a sense, determines how we handle that. Uh, let, let me give you the three reasons that Jesus says we should not be afraid of people. The first one is in verses 4 and 5. The first reason we should not be afraid of people is because while people can harm our bodies, they cannot harm our souls. Now, this doesn't relate directly to us very much like it would in a country that we were talking about just a few minutes ago, a country where physical harm is coming to Christian people. Uh, but, but Jesus gives this instruction to His, to his disciples. Look in verse 4 and 5. Now, I say to you, my friends, underline this, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear, underline this, fear the one who after he has killed someone has the power to throw that person into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So no matter what people do to us, they can't harm who we really are in our spiritual line. They can't make us not be a Christian because once we have been saved and dwelt by the Spirit of God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, adopted into God's family, that's who we are. No matter what they do to us, they can't change that. But what does it mean to fear God? When we think of the word fear and we think about fearing God, sometimes people transpose the wrong thought on that. They think of God maybe like an abusive parent. Think about a, a parent that has no self-control. And when a child disobeys, rather than appropriately and reasonably and uh, disciplining their child in whichever form of discipline they feel necessary, they think about the, 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 the abusive person. Maybe you were abused as a child. I still have an aversion to sticks and belts, to be quite honest with you. Uh, there were some sticks and some belts that were, that were used in the application of discipline to me. I had to learn what it meant to genuinely fear God. It means to have reverence and respect and awe toward God. To, to not want Him to use His chastening hand, not like the backhand of an abusive father, but the appropriate discipline of a loving God who is our Father. And so, the first thought is, do not fear people, fear only, fear only God. Because people can harm our bodies, they can't harm our souls. The second thought is in verse 6. The second reason for not being afraid of people is that no matter what people do to us, we are never out of God's sight. We might think God's forgotten us. We might think that God's abandoned us, but we must believe what the Bible teaches. And the Bible says we are never out of God's sight. The health wealth gospel says if bad things happen to you, it's because of you. Not necessarily true. Bad things sometimes happen to us because we live in a fallen world and we have to interact with fallen people. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us and God's eyes are not on us. Look in verse 6 with me. Are five sparrows not sold for two pennies, two cents? And yet not one of them has gone un unnoticed 
in the sight of God. God has his eyes on the sparrow. There are very little value. You can buy five of them for two pennies. But God has his eyes on them. How much more valuable are you than a sparrow? In fact, that's the third reason in verse 7. The third reason why we shouldn't be afraid of people is because we are more valuable to God than you could ever imagine. Look with me in verse 7. But even the hairs of your head are all counted. Do not fear. You are more valuable than a great number of sparrows. God loves you. He saved you. He's adopted you. He loves you more than you love your children if you have children. Think about how much you love your children. Think of how much they mean to you. God loves you more than that. In fact, Jesus says that God loves you as much as he loves him. That Jesus said that. Jesus told his disciples in the upper room that the Father loves them just as much as the Father loves him. That's how much he loves you. And so when people persecute us, or peer pressure comes pressing in on us, we need to remember that God loves us. Maybe there's no time that we're more susceptible to peer pressure than in our teenage years. I want to give a few pieces of advice to teenagers for dealing with peer pressure. Interestingly enough, most of this advice will work for adults as well. The first thing is this, know what you believe and how those beliefs are to be lived out. Know what you believe and how those beliefs are to be lived out. And so you're reminded when circumstances arise and the pressure seems to be pushing in. And there seems to be this thought and desire, I need to, I need to conform. I, I need to be like a chameleon in, in this moment. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying if you know what you believe and the way your faith is to be lived out, you'll be able to respond in a more God-honoring way in that moment. The second piece of advice is this, love Jesus more. Love Jesus more than the approval of your friends. Love Jesus more than the accolades and the rewards and the awards of this world. Love Jesus more. And when you love Jesus more, you're going to be less likely to compromise your faith. You're going to be less likely to capitulate to the pressures that are coming in. Everybody's cursing. The pressure is to curse right along with them. Jesus isn't pleased by profanity, let me just say that. It's pretty clear, it's pretty evident. Out of our lips comes the overflow of the heart, dirty words or a dirty heart. And so postmodernism says your words really don't matter very much. You can define one word this way and you can define another word that way. Four-letter words are the same on the East Coast and the West Coast. I can tell you that. And so you don't press, you don't allow it to pressure you to say things or to speak in ways that you know would not demonstrate a love for Jesus. When you're feeling pressure, talk to your parents or a spiritual mentor. 
Tell them you're feeling pressured, that the, the people you're associating with, they use bad language. They do, they do wrong things behind their parents' backs. Talk with them about it so they can pray with you and help you and, and, and hold you accountable in a loving way. Uh, know your worth before God. Know that you don't need the approval of other people because God loves you and His approval matters more than any person's approval. When I was 19, I didn't know any Christian people until, I, until the man who led me to faith in Christ, and I knew that man. And I was raised in Titusville from the time I was five until, I, uh, until Jay Lynn and I left at the age of 20, when I was 23. So when I got saved, I, I didn't have any Christian friends. I thought my friends would be maybe excited about it. They weren't so excited. I, I went to school with the same group of guys from elementary school, Coquina Elementary School, Jackson Junior High School, to Titusville High School. Many of us went to the same, uh, went to the same college. As soon as I put my faith in Jesus Christ and it changed my behavior, I went from having, I mean, just a lot of friends to having no friends. And that's when my, the man who led me to faith in Christ taught me what it meant that I have a friend in Jesus. I went from going out every Friday night and every Saturday night to staying home almost every Friday night and every Saturday night, but I had a friend in Jesus. It wasn't easy, it wasn't, uh, it, it hurt for a while, but eventually I began to develop Christian friends and a better peer pressure came. See, that's, that's what we want to be. We want to be positive peer pressure. We want, to, we want to pressure people to do the right thing. A positive peer pressure. You know, the, the fear of man can, can really be a, a detriment to gaining heaven. Some people won't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ because they don't know well, what will happen to my friendships, what will happen to my, to, to my community of friends. Well, it might cost you a community of friends, but don't let that keep you from heaven. Don't let that keep you from following Jesus. Don't let that keep you from putting your, your faith and trust in, in Him. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He wants us to understand God knows us, God loves us. And we need to confess him and to follow him. Uh, look with me in verses 8 through 10 because he talks about confessing him openly and not being ashamed of him in verses 8 through 10. Look in verse 8 with me. Now, I say to everyone who confesses me before people, so circle that word confess. A acknowledge that you know Jesus Christ. A a acknowledge that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Now I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man, will also confess him. There it is again. You might just circle that word. Will also confess him before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before people will be denied before the angels of God. Now we need to understand what he's saying and what he's not saying. What he's not saying is that any time a person, re, the person hides their Christianity, it means that they're not a Christian. 
Maybe you're in a situation, and maybe it's in the high school, and, and, and you know, I, I should say something for Jesus here, but uh, I don't know what to, I, I'm not going to say it. And so you, you kind of shrivel up and, and shrink back. Well, join the club. All of us have been there before. That's not what he's talking about. Peter did it three times, didn't he? Three times Peter said, I don't know him. I've never heard of him. I don't know what you're talking about. When Jesus, what Jesus is talking about here is a lifestyle, a lifestyle that refuses to acknowledge him, a lifestyle where we're ashamed of him, a refusal to ever be forthright in being a disciple of, of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Those are two completely different things. All of us at particular moments of time are probably more or less cowardly than we would want to be. But he's talking about a person who habitually, intentionally, willfully, knowingly lives their life trying to keep their commitment to Christ a secret. That says something about them. And then he says in verse 9, anyone and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. He's saying that there's, there's no sin that we commit against Jesus that is not forgivable. But then he goes on to say, and he makes a very troubling statement that has caused a lot of consternation for many Christian people. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. That's an unpardonable sin, an unforgivable sin. I've talked to many Christian people who, who have said to me at various times, Pastor, I'm afraid I've committed the unpardonable sin. Well, what is it that you have done? Well, I've did this or I did that. I can tell you, you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. Are you convicted by it? Yes, then you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. I like the way that, that Tom Schreiner talks about what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It is the habitual, intentional, perpetual rejection of the work of the Spirit in a person's life. It's the person that lives their life saying no to God, no to God, no to God, no to God, and then they die, and they've committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They've rejected the offer of salvation. They've rejected the goodness of God. They've rejected the kindness of God. Now, the danger is when people say sin against the, uh, the Son of Man and against the work of the Spirit may be in their life, their heart becomes a little bit harder and then harder, and harder, and harder, and harder, and harder. And they become less likely, and less likely, and less likely, and more or less likely, if you could put it that way, to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, because their heart becomes hard. Jesus told a parable about a sower, a farmer, sowing seed on soil, and some of the seed fell on hard soil. And Jesus went on to describe that hard soil as a hard-hearted person. And when the Word of God is sown on it, the hard-hearted person uh, has the devil come and snatch it away. They've resisted. They said no and no and no. And that's why it takes a lot of love and a lot of prayer and a lot of intentionality for hard-hearted people to come to saving faith. And so blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, no, 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 
no death. It's unforgivable, the sin. Well, in verses 11 and 12, what I want you to notice is we shouldn't be too quick to defend ourselves when being persecuted or being maligned. Uh, give, give God time to either tell us what to say, and He often will in those moments. We might wonder, well, how will I respond if, if, if an aggressive non-Christian uh, student at the high school or, or co-worker begins to malign me and depress me and to push me on, on what I believe, Jesus says the Spirit will help us to respond. Look in verse 11 and 12. Now, when they bring you before the synagogue and the officials and authorities, do not worry about what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. Don't don't fret over it. Now, you and I, we're probably not going to be brought before religious tribunals. Maybe the younger in our group will be. But those of us my age, we're probably not going to be brought before religious tribunals. Well, maybe those who go to foreign countries to preach the gospel in closed countries might. Not going to be brought before uh, civil magistrates. But if you do, don't worry about it. He says, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. That is, He's going to bring to mind, the Spirit will bring to mind the Bible that you've read, the Bible that you know, the Word that you've hidden in your heart. You might think, I don't know what I would say. You'll find that the Scriptures that you've memorized, the Scriptures you've meditated on, the Scriptures you've read and studied, the passages that we've talked about on Sunday mornings, the BFG lessons that you've Uh, that you hear taught. The Spirit will begin bringing those things to mind. Don't be too quick to defend yourself, but when you do, realize that God will give you the words to say. Well, let me give you three final pieces of advice. I I think these three pieces of advice are are overarching ideas that, that I take out of the passage. The first one is this. Be authentic. Be authentic. If you want to defeat hypocrisy, live with this understanding. Everything you say, God hears. Everything you think, God knows. Everything you do, God sees. The invisible God of glory hears everything I say. He knows everything I think, and He sees everything I do. Well, that's daunting. And it should be daunting, maybe even a little bit frightening. But on the other hand, he sees everything we do. He knows everything we think. He hears every word we speak. So it's you and your little boy sitting on the bed. You're getting ready to pray. You read a Bible story. It's you and him and God. You, Him, and God. God's hearing, God's seeing, God knows. You're planting little seeds in that little one's heart. That's unbelievably encouraging. You're sitting around a table, lunch Some guys are passing around something on the phone that's 
Very inappropriate. You say, excuse me, guys, for just a minute. I, 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 need to, I need to do something. And you just graciously get up and, and walk away. You don't have to say anything. Might not be appropriate to say anything. Might not be right at that moment to say anything. God sees that. See, we, we, we look at that negative side, and it's there. But it also the positive side is there. You... You're out here and you're, you're working with Larry and, you're, and you are mowing the grass or weeding the planters or, or using the, the weed eater. Nobody else sees. Larry will thank you. He's very gracious. Nobody else in the church comes up and says, good job. God saw exactly what you did. He takes great pleasure in it. He never misses a single thing. And so that first thought is be authentic. Be authentic. To be authentic means that you have to be very careful not to raise your children to become hypocrites. We unconsciously are infecting hypocrisy, Phariseeism, particularly Phariseeism in the lives of our children. I would never eat at a restaurant like that. You see some believers going into a restaurant. I would never take you to a restaurant like that. Listen, you big buffoon. There's no need to say it. You just don't take your children there. I would never let you go to a movie like that. Listen, buffoon, you don't have to say that. Just don't take your children to a movie like that. Give people room to grow and mature and develop. Don't make your children into Pharisees. Let your light shine. Not your condemnation. Shout. It doesn't do any good. And if you're not going to say it to them, you're a coward. If you'll say it to your children behind closed doors, walk in the restaurant and say it to them, or don't say it at all. That's cowardly. Be courageous. That's the second thought. Be courageous. Uh, Be courageous. Don't be conformed to the standards of the world. Don't just go along with the crowd. Be courageous. Learn to say no. It may cost you some friendships. It may very well cost you popularity. There's very few places where you will ever be where genuine, authentic Christian teenagers are the center and highlight of the location. But you will be in God's spotlight in all the right ways. Be courageous. Third, be secure. Be secure. Spend some time thinking about God's comprehensive knowledge of you and His unconditional love and care for you. Spend some time thinking about God's comprehensive knowledge of you and His unconditional love and care for you. See, sometimes I'm afraid if you knew who I really was, you might not love me. God knows who I really am, and He loves me. He knows all of my strengths, all of my weaknesses. The only person that, and her knowledge of me doesn't compare, the person who knows me best in this world after God would be my wife. So, Think about how much God loves you. You can be secure in that love. 
You don't have to measure God's love by the health wealth standards. Well, I've got a good job and a nice yard and a fancy car. No. You may have a, a bad report from the doctor. You may get the pink slip next week. But the Word of God says God loves you. He's made it perfectly clear in the sending of His Son, and He makes it explicit in His Word. Be secure in God's love. The more secure you are in God's love, the less influence others will have on you in a negative way. In just a moment, Craig is going to come up and, and lead us in a, in a final song. It may very well be today that you would like to speak to someone. We'd love to have you come to one of our connection centers in, in either lobby. If you're a guest, we'd invite you to, to stop by. But if you would just like a, a brother or sister to, to pray with, just go to, the, go to there. They'll be glad to pray with you. Maybe uh, you just turn to a brother or sister nearby. Maybe you're in, uh, B, you've been in BFG together. Uh, just grab the brother by the arm and say, hey, brother, would you, would you pray with me about this situation? Or maybe you say, hey, sister, would you pray with me about that situation? So I'm going to ask you to stand and let me lead us in a word of, a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you today for the privilege that we have of looking at these 12 verses. And Father, they come from the teaching of Jesus to his disciples, and Luke has discipled us by recording them for us. And Father, all of us, all of us need to hear what Jesus said, because it's as true today as it was then. And Father, all of us fear the fear the the struggle to be genuine and authentic in our faith. And so, Father, we pray that your, your Spirit would take your words, use it in our lives to conform us into the image of your Son for your glory and our eternal good. In Jesus' name we pray.